Our second lesson, as is printed in the bulletin, is in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I would like to add to that also a passage from Matthew chapter 14. Uh, And today our central theme is going to be looking unto Jesus. This has been based upon a devotional called Distractions Are Dangerous. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we get into trouble. The first of the lessons is from Luke chapter 5. And it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began to teach the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, We worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners and to the other boats uh, to come and to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. And then from Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, and to go ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And it was evening, and he was there alone. But the boat was already a great distance away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking upon the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. 
And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. And when they had crossed over, they came to, the, uh, to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of the place recognized him, they sent into all the surrounding district and brought unto him all that were ill. And they began to entreat him that, he might touch the fringe, that they might touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Amen. May God bless to our understanding these readings from his word. I was thinking about a subtitle for our theme, which is Distractions Are Dangerous. And all of us have had some experience in which we have been distracted and either ran into something or, or else. Uh, I can remember coming by one of these uh, conferences here in Montreat one time, and one of our policemen, of all people, yelled, Hey, Calvin. And I turned to look at him, and then when I looked back, the lady in front of me had stopped, and I banged right into the back of her car. <laughs> he wasn't much help. Uh, <laughs> distractions are dangerous, even if they're policemen. And uh, the Bible wants us to understand that distractions are dangerous too. This is why I tried to take from the epistle to the Hebrews that grand theme, looking unto Jesus. You have to understand something of the background in which this letter was written. It was lit written to some Hebrew Christians, probably living in the city of Rome. Now remember, they are Jews, and they have become convinced that Jesus is all that Moses and the psalmist and the prophets said that, he, that the Messiah would be. And they have embraced him indeed as the Messiah. And because of this, their Jewish relatives who have not been willing to accept him as Messiah have cast them out of their houses. They will no longer speak to them uh, and will have nothing to do with them. They are persecuted. And then there are the pagan Romans who had no use either for Judaism or for this new cult of Christianity. And the pagan Romans persecuted them too. And so they underwent the fires of persecution. And so the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews, writing to these people going through a severe time of testing, is telling them how much more excellent Jesus is than all of that which they have seen prefigured and told about in the Old Testament. And then when he comes to the climax of his tremendous letter, he gives God's hall of fame all of those heroes of the faith down through the ages who have made their mark upon the history and the culture of the people because of their trust in God. How that they were not always delivered, but many of them suffered in the midst of great faith, and that these people are to be faithful too. And then he gives as their chief example, Jesus, the one to whom they must look because the Christian life begins with looking unto Jesus, and the Christian life ends with our looking unto Jesus. Carved at the headstone of one of our Christian friends from this congregation are those gracious words from the first epistle of John, that one day we shall see him as he is, and when we do, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is from 1 John. Now, it's important for us to remember this. 
It begins by looking to Jesus, and it ends by looking to Jesus. And in between, there are a great many things that take place. And when I think of a person who would give us a good example of what might happen to us and cause us to take our eyes away from Jesus and to get into trouble, almost any Bible scholar would automatically look at Peter. And one famous Bible scholar has told us so much of everyone, you just couldn't have the Gospels without seeing Simon Peter. And yet when you watch Jesus teaching him, you see how he can transform persons and make them into what they ought to be when they keep their eyes upon him. One of my favorite quotations about Jesus Christ comes from a very unexpected source. It comes from uh, Vincent van Gogh, the famous artist who went through so much torture in his own personal life. Vincent van Gogh, in writing a letter to his brother, said these words about Jesus Christ. He lived serenely as a greater artist, greater than all other artists, despising marble and clay as well as color, working in living flesh. That is to say, this matchless artist, hardly to be conceived of by the obtuse instruments of our modern nervous, stupefied brains, made neither statues nor pictures nor books. He loudly proclaimed that he made living men to become immortal. This is serious, especially because it's true. Now let's look at one of these immortals. If we look at Peter the first time that we see him, Andrew, you will remember, is his brother who takes him to meet Jesus. This is when he is just a disciple, a learner. But later he becomes an apostle. In the occasion upon which he became an apostle, one of the chosen twelve was read in your hearing a few moments ago. It was when Jesus asked a favor of him. He asked to borrow his boat. And they pushed the boat out a little ways into the water, and Jesus probably spoke to a crowd of people up on the bank. Peter was mending his nets and probably kept on mending away while Jesus was teaching and listening to the words that fell from his lips. When he had finished, Jesus told Peter, he said, you cast the, push the boat out, launch it out further into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. Now, only Peter would be impetuous and impulsive enough to say to Jesus, Master, look, we fished all night and didn't catch anything. And then he checked himself like we'll do. But nevertheless, at your will, we'll do it. He wouldn't turn Jesus down after he thought about it. And so he does. They launch out and they let down their nets and then they begin to feel that wonderful tug of fish. I go fishing with a guy by the name of Bill Griffin, who's a shrink, a psychiatrist, and he pulls tricks on me. When the fish don't bite and I get sleepy, I can always enjoy the sun. And so while I'm snoozing in the sun, he will reach over and pull on my line. And, and then I think I've caught one of those big fish that I've always dreamed about catching, and I 
I'd grab furiously to land the fish, and Griffin lands a big laugh at me for, for doing this. Well, there's a, something wonderful about feeling uh, all of those fish and nets. And so when Peter felt these nets fill up with fish, uh, he was awed by the catch, and the nets began to break, and they had to call for their friends to come and assist them. But then there began to dawn upon Peter a realization that this one who had been speaking the words of God to them was more than any mere man, that there was something miraculous about what had taken place here. And he sensed his own unworthiness, and he looked at the first distraction that I want to speak about. He looked at himself, and when he looked at himself, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Isaiah had felt something of that in the sixth chapter of Isaiah when he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He looked at himself, and he said, Go away from me, Lord, go away from me. Now, that was really a very foolish prayer. And many of us make foolish prayers, Tory Johnson, who used to be the head of Youth for, Christ, Youth for Christ, told the story of one very religious Christian young boy who had borrowed his father's brand new automobile, and he, he was on his way to a date, and he had a crash and smashed his dad's car, and he stood out beside the car and he prayed, Oh Lord, may this accident not have happened. <laughs> well now, that's a foolish prayer. And there are many of us who have prayed things like that. And so Peter, when he didn't know what to say, always said something. Sometime in order to put one foot in the mouth, he had to take the other foot out. Uh, he was always doing this. So he said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Go away from me. Now, he really didn't mean that. Because if he had, then uh, Peter's life would never have been transformed like uh, Vincent van Gogh speaks of a moment ago. But Jesus is going to work in this living flesh, and he will make this man immortal because he works in him, and he will work in your flesh and mine too. But if we look inside itself, we become depressed because we see in us our failings and our sins. It's interesting that even the Apostle Paul referred to himself upon occasion as less than the least of all saints. He refers to himself one time as the chief of sinners. And my, I often think, Paul, you don't know me, or you couldn't say that you were less than the least, and you couldn't say you were chief of sinners. But Jesus has a way of working with us when we take our eyes off self and look upon him if I know that Jesus has paid the price for my sins, then I know that I must be a creature of worth and of value. Last Monday morning, I got up at 5.30 in the morning and went with several friends over to the Hebron colony outside of Boone. There I saw 22 men who were alcoholics and 16 women who are alcoholics. 
There a Christian Alcoholic Rehabilitation Center exists. And they began the day by reciting Bible verses. Each one was assigned a Bible verse to read and to hear those old whiskey voices stand up and say these Bible verses sort of got next to me. And then after I'd spoken in the day room uh, where I talked with the men, I was pleased because Jesus loves them and Jesus cares for them. When everyone else is willing to shrug them off as a nuisance and of no value and of no worth because their wills are broken, Jesus loves them. And I think the most serious problem that they have to contend with is the fact that they loathe themselves. They think about things that they did to their family or to their neighbors or to their employers or to other people while they were drunk. And they can't see how anyone could possibly love them, not even God. And when you can help them to get their eyes off themselves, and to look at Jesus, then something healthy begins to take place. That matchless artist begins his work in their lives and in their hearts, just as he did in Peter. Now, Peter, of course, is a great bungler. He makes a lot of mistakes, but people who do a lot in life make a lot of mistakes. The man who never made a mistake, someone said, never did anything. And that's true of Peter because he's going to make some mistakes. The next time that we see him in a distraction is when uh, that passage I read to you a moment ago, it's also on the Sea of Galilee. Much took place there at that sea. I can remember nearly 20 years ago, I visited the Sea of Galilee. And to me, I like that, I think, better than just about any place I visited in what we call the Holy Lands. I liked it because it seemed like to me this was the one place that must look a good bit like it did in the time of Jesus. And I enjoyed looking at it. All the other places around there, I really wanted to take some dynamite and blow up churches and shrines and get them out of the way and see what the land looked like. But the lake is the same. And so Jesus had been teaching to a crowd of people. And after he had taught this great crowd of people, he... He tells his disciples he had, he had taught them, and then he fed this multitude, and it says that there were 5,000 men beside the women and children. Now, that must have been 15,000, 20,000 people. That was an enormous amount of people. I've often thought that here we talk about our sound system in Gaither Chapel. My Jesus must have had a tremendous voice to have preached to an enormous crowd of people like that out in the open air. And he spoke to all of those people and they never heard a voice like that voice of Jesus. And after he had spoken to them and you remember the disciples were going to send them away and Jesus said, let's give them to eat here. And they said, we don't have anything to feed these people. Then they brought the little boy with the loaves and fishes and Jesus blessed the loaves and the fishes and fed all of that multitude and like John emphasized in the prayer this morning, Jesus was no wastrel. He gathered up the fragments that remained so that nothing would be wasted. And so after this had taken place, why right away the people wanted to make him king. 
This was a tremendous miracle to feed all of these people, and it was a nice thing to have a good, satisfied stomach. And so they would like to make him king. And I'm sure that the disciples must have been thinking, well, if he's going to be king, that means I'll have a prominent place in the kingdom too. Maybe Peter thought I'll be the prime minister, and Judas thought I'll be the chief uh, treasurer, and Matthew, I'll be the great scribe. And so they were always talking about who would be the greatest. And Jesus compelled them, we are told. He constrains them or he compels them to get into a boat and to go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now there is some reluctance on their part to go away, but Jesus constrained them to go. They didn't want to go away from him. I've seen Billy Graham at big crusade meetings and a lot of people like to hang around close to him because all the crowd are admiring him and so on. I've been around the president. Everybody wants to get close to where the president is. They have to rank everybody according to protocol uh, because they want to be close to him. Here Jesus had 15, 20,000 people. He is the center of all the attention. And yet Jesus commands them, go get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. He sent the multitude away and he went alone up into a mountain to pray. And then what happens is told us. In the night, between the hours of 3 a.m. after the 3 o'clock, after the 3 a.m. watch had been set, that would have been the darkest time of the night. They were a great distance uh, from the land, and a huge storm swept down upon this little boat. And they were beginning to row against the waves, and the waves were contrary to them. But the interesting thing to me is that Jesus could see them. And Jesus sees us this morning. He knows when we're going through a storm. He knows when we're rowing against the current. He's watching us. Jesus sees us, and Jesus is interceding. He is praying for us. At the right hand of God, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And Jesus saw them struggling there in the sea. And then he comes to them. And that's interesting to me. He not only saw them, he was praying for them, but he came to them, and he'll come to you in the storms of life too. There are storms that come to correct us, and there are storms that come to, uh, to encourage us, to test us. Uh, Jonah got into a storm because he uh, wanted to run away from doing the will of God. Now here, these had done what they had been ordered to do by divine authority and still a storm comes. So what are we going to do? We're doing what you told us to do, Lord, and look at all this trouble that we've gotten into. All of this hardship has come upon us. Well, he's watching and he's working his purposes out. Jesus comes to them in this storm. He saw them and then they see him. But the interesting thing is they can't recognize him. Sometimes in the midst of a storm, we can't recognize what God's doing. 
and we don't understand what his purposes are. And that must have been what was going on here. They couldn't understand why in the world he would get them into a predicament like this. Storms that may have not been of our doing. Somebody else may have brought the storm on us. Or we may be right in the center of his will. And the storm comes. But he will work his purpose out. So he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take courage. Now, Peter, I've often wondered whatever got in his mind. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Only Peter would think of something like that. Uh, he said, if, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I think not long before this, Jesus, Peter had come to Jesus about the matter of paying taxes. Do you remember that strange miracle that occurred? Uh, the tax collectors came to Peter and they said, does your master pay taxes? And Peter said, of course he pays taxes. And then he went to Jesus and he said, master, do we pay taxes? <laughs> and Jesus said, yes. He said, go and cast a, a hook in the sea and you'll catch a fish and there'll be a coin in the fish's mouth and take that coin and pay the taxes. That's a good way to get the tax paid. And so he got the, the taxes paid. And uh, I think uh, this made him think that he could do a lot of things with Jesus and that's not a bad idea. You can do a lot of things with Jesus. So it was bold. So Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And I think Peter, being a carpenter with great common sense, stuck his foot over the boat and felt of the waves to see whether they were good and solid or not. And when they were, he actually climbed out and started walking toward Jesus on the water. But then... He got distracted again. First he was distracted by looking at himself. Now he is distracted by the sound of the wind and by the boisterous waves and he takes his eyes off Jesus and he makes a tremendous prayer. Help. If you ever get in trouble, that's a one-word prayer that you ought to memorize. Help. And Jesus heard him, and he reached down and caught hold of him. He chides him about his lack of faith. He chides him about his lack of faith because the circumstances had fooled him. A lot of times circumstances come to us in the storms of life, and we take our eyes off Jesus, and we come unglued because of the hardship of those circumstances that we see. I'll never forget when Joni Erickson, Johnny Erickson spoke here in Gaither Chapel. I remember going down uh, to some friends where they had a little luncheon for her. And we talked of all things about the sovereignty of God, that is that God rules over all things. She entered into quite a conversation with me about predestination and about election and about God's ruling in a sovereign way over the affairs of life. Now, you know who Johnny Erickson is. Johnny Erickson was an incredibly beautiful, vivacious young lady who in 1967 dived into Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. She is confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. She is a fantastic 
artist and a radiant Christian. Because Jesus came to her and she saw him instead of the storms, it was bitter at first, terribly bitter and terribly hard, but she saw him. And last winter, I remember when she came here and spoke a couple of years ago, and then last winter in the bitter cold weather around Chicago, she came and spoke in the chapel there. And I read in the newsletter from Wheaton College, from President Armitage, he said that people had been griping about the fantastic cold weather and the high snow and sludging from one building to the next. And they came into the chapel and they pushed little Johnny Erickson's wheelchair out. And with that beaming smile, she spoke into the microphone and gave her testimony about the love of God and the power of Jesus at work in her life and how she commended her Savior to the other people who were present there. And everyone, all 3,000 of those people in the auditorium were quiet. They were listening to someone whose eyes were fixed upon Jesus and not upon the dreadful circumstances that could have overwhelmed her. And President Armerding said that after chapel, when the people were walking away, that he overheard one member of the staff say, I'll never complain again about walking through the snow to come here to chapel. At least I didn't have to be rolled in here in a wheelchair. Johnny Erickson has another book called A Step Further, in which she tells of people who have talked to her about being healed and showing her verses in the scripture. And she wrote a little poem that says, a little bird I am shut from the fields of air, and in my cage I sit and sing to him who placed me there. Well pleased a prisoner to be, because my God, it pleaseth thee. Naught have I else to do, I sing the whole day long, and he whom most I love to please, he listens to my song. He caught and bound my wandering wing, but still he bends to hear me sing. Oh, it's good to soar those bolts and bars above to him whose purposes I adore, whose providence I love, and in thy mighty will to find the joy and freedom of my mind. Do you see that exultant, radiant spirit? It's hers. It's hers because of that. Then lastly, that we don't have time for, Peter again appeared to the, Jesus again appeared to the disciples after his resurrection on that Lake of Galilee. So many things happened there. You remember what happened. Some of them said, I'm going fishing. And Peter said, well, I'll also go with you. Now I think Peter had, this of course was after he had denied his Lord and I think he was grossly ashamed of himself and all that he had done in denying Jesus. He had to do something. He was one of those nervous people who just couldn't sit around doing nothing. So he said, let's go fishing. You ever look back over life and wish that you could undo some things that you've done and wonder about it? I'll never forget being in Scotland over on the Isle of Skye. They have a song that 
One of the Scottish poets has, Sing me a song of a lad that is gone. Say, could that lad be I? Give me again all that was there. Give me the sun that shone. Give me the eyes. Give me the soul. Give me the lad that's gone. Billowing breeze, island and seas, mountains of rain and sun. All that was good, all that was fair, all that was me is gone. Peter must have felt a little bit that way. He went fishing. And strangely enough, early in the morning, almost exactly like happened before, they'd fished all night and caught nothing. And a stranger appears on the beach. And he calls out and says, You caught anything, boys? The King James has a horrible translation of this. It says, Children, have you any meat? <laughs> That's awful. It says, have you caught anything, boys? Now, if a fisherman has caught something, he'll make you a speech. <laughs> but if he hadn't caught anything, he just says one word, no. <laughs> and that's what came back. And after this had happened, the voice on the shore said, cast the net on the right side of the ship. And they cast the net on the right side of the ship, and then all of those tremendous, lively fish began pulling there again. And Peter knows who it is. And John says it's the Lord. And Peter girts his fisher's coat about him and dives into the sea and swims toward the shore and then pulls in the netting. And they gather the fish in. And then Jesus has the little fire prepared and he feeds them before he corrects them. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> he knows they've worked hard all night. I always tell wives to get supper ready if your husband is in an angry mood. Feed him when he gets home. And then he won't be half as hard to deal with. And uh, so Jesus feeds him. And then after that, he gives him the chance to reaffirm his faith three times, just as he's denied it. He had boasted that he loved them more than everybody else. So now Jesus asks him, do you really love me more than all these do? And he says, Lord, you know I love you. And then he goes through that three times and is really grieved because Jesus said it to him the third time. And finally he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus gives him a job. Feed my sheep a commission. And then he makes an, a very mysterious prophecy. He says to Peter, when you were young, you would tighten your belt and you would go wherever you wanted to. But when you're old, another is going to bind you and take you where you do not want to go and stretch you out. And you will die. This meant that Peter was going to die a death of crucifixion. Peter wondered about this couldn't take it all in. He looked at John and said, what shall this man do? He took his eyes off Jesus and looked at another Christian. What shall this man do? And Jesus said, well, if I want him to wait until I come back again, what is that to you? You follow me. So we can get our eyes off Jesus by looking to self, by looking to circumstances, or by looking to other Christians. And we must not think because some Christians suffer that this means that the Lord has some thing for them that 
is not blessed. At prayer meeting last Wednesday, Ed Curry told us about going when John Vinson was killed in China. Dr. Edward Curry, here in our congregation, recovered his body and brought it back for burial. Chinese bandits had roped him with a number of other people that they had captured and tied ropes around their necks and led them along. The man had been sick, had had an operation, and he kept falling. They had hoped to get some ransom, which they were not able to get him to consent to a ransom note. He wouldn't allow them to let him go free and not allow the other Chinese who were with him to go free. So one shot him and another beheaded him. And Jack Vinson was gone into the presence of his Lord. And Uncle Ed said that some of the Chinese Christians said, well, he must not have been such a good Christian. If all this hardship happened to him, they're putting the rope on his neck, they dragged him, they killed him. And Uncle Ed, with that wisdom that he's got, said, what about the Apostle Paul? He was in prison in Rome, and they beheaded him. And what about Peter? He died, crucified, upside down in Rome. You see, the Lord leads us in different ways. Sometimes healing comes. Sometimes, as, John, as Johnny Erickson tells us in this book, a step further, healing does not come. But in all of this, the Lord is working his purposes out when we keep our eyes on him. So don't look at self, look at Jesus. Don't look at the circumstances unless you look at them through Jesus. Don't look at other Christians unless you look at them through Jesus. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are confident that Thou who hast begun a good work in us by calling us to cast our eyes upon Jesus and to look full in His wonderful face will also keep us until that day when we are called to Him or until He comes to take us unto Himself. We pray, Father, that You will grant to us that amidst the disciplines and the defeats and the discouragements that we go through in life, we might always be keeping our eyes upon Jesus, no matter what self tells us and no matter what circumstances, and even no matter what other Christians might be doing. Help us to look to you and to follow you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.